Hello and welcome to the podcast English for Life in the UK. This podcast is for those people who want to improve their English by listening to native English speakers and at the same time learn more about life in this country. I'm joined today by Sheena and Christine. Sheena, how are you? Oh, fine, thank you, Mark. Fine. Christine? I'm well too. Yes, feeling cold. Yeah, it was a it was a cold lovely weather, warm day yesterday, wasn't it? And now it's gone cold again. But that's a typical English spring. Lovely one day and cold the next. Well, today we're going to talk about Easter. Uh, Easter is the most important Christian festival, um, and it's just about to happen. So that's why we're doing it this week. So today is Thursday, sometimes called Maundy Thursday. Tomorrow is Good Friday, which is the Friday of the Easter weekend. And then this Sunday is Easter Day. And then there's Easter Monday. And both the Friday and the Monday have for quite a long time in this country been what we call bank holidays. That means most people uh, get the day off work. Christine, I think you were going to tell us a little bit about different ways of looking at uh, Easter. Well, yes, in this country, um, I, I, I know that you interviewed um, the vicar who's going to tell us about the Christian um, aspects of Easter, because, of course, it is the biggest Christian festival. But also some of our celebrations are pagan or date from pagan times. And the truth is now that there's a third aspect of Easter celebrations, and that's commercial ones. You will see in this country, as soon as you walk into a supermarket, it is full of Easter produce, mainly made of chocolate, in the form of eggs or rabbits, Easter bunnies. That's the commercial traditions at the moment. And... Um, of course, we, are, we eat a lot of chocolate on those days. And we're going to start with your interview, Mark, with Reverend John Halliwell. Well, I'm delighted to say I'm now joined by Reverend John, who is the vicar at St. Augustine's. Nice to have you with us again, John. It's good to be with you again. Thank you. And uh, as you know, this episode is about Easter. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'd like you to tell our listeners a bit about why Easter is important to Christians. So um, for Christians, Easter is really the central um, celebration of the Christian faith. Um, it uh, celebrates the central saving act of God in uh, in world history. Um, as Jesus uh, sacrificed his life on the cross and then Christians believe was raised by God three days later. Um, it's so central that that's why Christians worship on a Sunday every week, because they're celebrating on a Sunday that resurrection on a weekly basis. Um, but the annual event of Easter um, is a more in-depth celebration of that event. 
That's great. And what tell tell us a bit about what happens over that Easter weekend, and what are you? What's your involvement in that? Well, it, Easter weekend really starts the week before. So the the week running up to Easter weekend, we call Holy Week. That starts with a celebration uh, the Sunday before, uh, which we normally call Palm Sunday. So we remember Jesus uh, riding into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey, fulfilling some Old Testament prophecies uh, about God's chosen Messiah. And people celebrate his coming uh, in peace, hence the riding on the donkey. Um, but then very quickly we move into some of the more detailed events of Holy Week. He overturns the tables uh, of the money changers and the people selling uh, various sacrificial animals in the temple, um, proclaiming that uh, it should be a house of prayer for all nations, and yet people have made it a den of robbers. That sets off a chain of events that eventually lead uh, to Jesus' arrest. Um, that happens on uh, what we now call Maundy Thursday, um, <clears throat> so we celebrate a lot of things on Maundy Thursday. It's the day we remember Jesus uh, in starting the uh, what we call the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or the Mass, depending on, on your churchmanship, um, his use of bread and wine to point to his sacrificial death, uh, his giving of his flesh and his uh, blood on the cross. Um, but we also celebrate on that day his washing of his disciples' feet, signifying a, a, a lifestyle uh, of service to others. Um, and it's called Maundy Thursday because uh, it comes from the Latin for um, one of the things that Jesus said on that day, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another. Um, and that's where Maundy comes from, a new commandment. Um, and we then remember him going to pray in Gethsemane, uh, wrestling with God about whether the cross was really necessary, asking God to take it from him if it was possible, but submitting his will to the Father's will um, on that uh, day. And then him being uh, arrested uh, after being betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas, uh, with a kiss on the cheek. Um, he's then arrested um, tried on trumped-up charges, which he doesn't really make any answer to. Uh, we also see his disciples um, effectively disowning him because they don't want the same thing to happen to them. They're frightened the same thing might happen to them. Um, and eventually that all leads to his um, condemnation by the Jewish authorities um, and they hand him over to the Roman authorities because the Jews um, were not allowed to invoke the death penalty. Um, so they hand him over to the Roman authorities because that was the penalty they wanted. And so famously, of course, he's tried before Pontius Pilate, uh, who eventually sort of washes his hands and says, I'm not guilty of this man's blood um, and makes the famous statement what is truth um jesus is then uh taken out made to carry uh, the cross through the streets uh, of jerusalem 
to a place called Golgotha where he's eventually crucified between two thieves on Good Friday in the afternoon um, and he's uh, yeah he's on the cross dying it's it was reserved um, the death purely for traitors because it was considered such an horrific death um, that you had to be a traitor uh, to Rome to be crucified um, hence perhaps the sign that's put on over his head on the cross uh, Jesus King of the Jews um, his, the charge against him um, and unusually um, Jesus seems to die relatively quickly um, normally the procedure was after some hours they would break the legs of, of the people that were crucified just to make sure that they wouldn't survive and nobody would take them down but there was no need to do that for Jesus because he'd already died um, his friends take him down and he's placed in a in a borrowed tomb um, that's at the end of Good Friday, uh, just before sunset, which would mark the start of the next day for the Jews. The next day, of course, was the Sabbath, so they couldn't do anything about it. And early on the Sunday morning, the first day of the week, um, some women go to anoint the body of Jesus, still imagining that he's dead. Um, they arrive at the tomb and find it empty. Um, finding uh, angels there telling him telling the women that uh, he's already uh, risen and gone ahead uh, to Galilee and to tell his friends that to meet him there um, and the women uh, are rather surprised by all this but they go and uh, tell the other disciples who come and verify it for themselves um, and then they have various encounters with Jesus over the next 40 days or so before his ascension that's great thank you john um what about what happens uh in terms of services at the church and things like that over this period so i guess palm sunday you've already said there is a a celebration that takes place then what what are the other things that yeah happen? so palm sunday often there's a procession with uh with palm leaves or palm crosses, um, often with a donkey in some places. Um, the next main service would be Maundy Thursday. In many churches, uh, they reenact the uh, washing of the disciples' feet by those in a leadership position in the church, usually washing somebody's feet. Um, of course, there's also a royal tradition of handing out the Maundy money, which the Queen does uh, every Maundy Thursday at a different cathedral. Um, there's also a remembrance of the institution of the Lord's Supper. So many Christians will celebrate some form uh, of communion that evening. Uh, many churches will finish that celebration either with what they call the stripping of the altars, where they take all the sort of finery, so to speak, out of the church. So all the uh, metalwork, all the um, fancy linen that they have. So it's stripped bare um, to recognise the desolation of, of Jesus' arrest. Um, and many churches will also hold a vigil at that point. So people will just sit in quiet and pray, remembering um, the sacrifice that Jesus made. Um, 
we move then on to Good Friday. Very often churches have a service in the afternoon, either of one hour or of three hours. There's a slight debate as to exactly how long Jesus was on the cross. Um, but many churches will hold a, um, a service for three hours meditating on Jesus' sacrifice and what it meant, often thinking of some of the things he said from the cross, um, some of the significant statements um, such as it is finished or Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Um, in some traditions, there is also a tradition of doing what they call the Stations of the Cross, um, where they will visit um, different uh, areas of the church that represent different events as Jesus carries the cross through Jerusalem, through to his crucifixion and through to his being laid in the tomb. Um, and in uh, many churches, particularly the Roman Catholic Church and those with a, uh, a Catholic um, churchmanship will um, venerate the cross so they will come and kiss the foot of a, a cross that's held uh, for them. Um, the Saturday tends to have very little uh, in ways of service because it's a day of remembering Jesus being laid in the tomb um, but the celebration of Easter then begins in some churches on the Saturday evening um, in quite a few churches at midnight uh, and in other churches, uh, which is what we do at sunrise on the Easter Sunday. But they often include lighting a fire, um, lighting a new uh, Paschal candle or Easter candle to symbolize the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and uh, quite a lot of churches now have developed a, a, a tradition in relatively recent years of of taking um, the uh, Christmas tree uh, um, from Christmas, um, stripping off the branches, but creating a cross out of the Christmas tree and then decorating it on Easter Sunday with flowers to celebrate the resurrection, linking um, the two sort of major events. That's really that's really interesting. I didn't know that. That's that's a new one for me. Yes, it. I think it came from an from Iona, which uh, is a um, relatively recently uh, renovated abbey in Scotland. Um, it's one of their traditions that's caught on a lot around around the UK, at least. Um, so yes, many churches will now have um, crosses with flowers on them. Uh, we usually do that as well. Um, and of course, um, some churches will also have the usual Easter egg hunts and all that kind of things as family celebrations as part of their service. We always give away Easter eggs uh, as well. I was going to I was going to ask you that. I remember when we talked at Christmas and I said I was asking you how you felt about the fact that there are all these other things that go on at that time of year which people associate with that but which don't have really have a christian tradition to so i was going to ask you about easter eggs how do you feel about that so obviously you feel that it is is fine as part of the celebratory event um yes i uh, uh, it's not something we particularly focus on but but the symbolism no. of of eggs um when you think about it, is is relevant. Obviously, I say obviously, it's linked between sort of um, 
other, I suppose, pre-Christian festivals of spring and new life. Um, but of course, uh, Christians would say that Easter is the celebration of, of new life. And therefore, anything that relates to that is also uh, it's possible to use to point to what we believe is the truth of Easter. So it's OK to use those things. Um, I quite often use um Easter eggs, chocolate Easter eggs to to talk about Easter with school children because there's a lot of the symbolism there about um, the the empty egg symbolising the empty tomb um, and the shape of a potentially of of the stone that was rolled away and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of symbolism that you can draw out of it um, and. Jesus said, I've come that people should have life in all its fullness. So uh, we want to make it Easter of all celebrations, a fun celebration. Um, and being somebody who is rather partial to chocolate, I'm uh, rather fond of using things like that to celebrate. That's brilliant. That's great. Thanks very much, John. That's really helpful. So where? what's the pagan tradition of Easter about, Christine? A lot of the current fest, uh, Easter celebrations are based on much older traditions. And of course, Easter is at springtime. And so it was celebration of fertility. And that's where the eggs come from. And also the rabbits, are, um, you know, symbols of fertility. But I remember when I was a child, I, I don't remember having a chocolate Easter egg particularly. I mean, of course, I'm well into my 60s now, so it's a long time ago. But I, we had, we boiled eggs and then we painted them or dyed them and rolled them down a hill. And we used to have sort of race our eggs, see whose egg got to the bottom first. And when I had my own child, uh, we had chocolate eggs. In fact, we had an Easter egg hunt where we'd hide eggs, usually in the garden or outside, and the children would run and try and find them. That was good fun. And we have another tradition here in the Calder Valley in the north of England. Um, on Good Friday, they, we have the Pace Egg Play. And these are players. I mean, it's been going on for hundreds of years on Good Friday, a group of players go around villages and they act out, um, act out a story, often in verse, uh, uh, and it usually involves St George killing some terrible villain. And then there'll be a doctor that will bring that villain back to life. And then there's an idiot, Tosspot, is the name of the idiot in our local Pace Egg play. But that's good fun. What about you, Mark? What, what, what did you do? Well, we, we certainly did have chocolate Easter eggs as a child. Um, and we do that now with our children and grandchildren. But the, the tradition I remember most, because it is an unusual one, less common, um, is something called jarping. 
and it comes from the northeast of England because my that's where my father was born. We call we call people who come from around Newcastle in the northeast Geordies. My dad was a Geordie, and the tradition that there was this thing called jarping, and you took you had hard boiled eggs, and you first of all you painted them a bit like you were describing, Christine, um, but then you take the sharp end of the egg. And you'd sit round a table and you'd bash your sharp end against the person next, sat next to you's sharp end of their egg. And whichever one uh, stay, didn't get broken, that one then went on and then did the same with another egg. And you went round the table until you'd only got one egg where there was an unbroken sharp end. And then you did exactly the same with the other end of the egg, the rounded end of the egg. And so you'd end up with one sharp end and one round end, and then those two would uh, bash against each other and you'd end up with a winner. Uh, Sheena, I think you've been looking at uh, what happens in the Easter period in some other countries. Um, yes, just a few things, um, Mark. The idea in, in England is the Easter bunny, and in America as well, I think that the Easter bunny often brings Easter eggs. And apparently in Switzerland, Easter eggs are delivered by a cuckoo and in some parts of Germany by a fox. So very different traditions. Um, in Germany, uh, trees are hung with decorated eggs on at Easter time and they're called Easter egg trees. In Bermuda, kites are flown to represent the resurrection. And the Ethiopian Orthodox Church celebrates Easter two weeks after us and they um, fast for 56 days. And after that fasting, the families dress in white and eat doro wat and injera and drink honey wine to celebrate Easter. I also found out a little bit about um, Easter bonnets because that can be an Easter tradition. And apparently that started in the 1800s in New York when people would walk from church to church that would be decorated with flowers. And then the people in the parade started to wear flowers on their clothing and on their hats. And then eventually people called them Easter bonnets. Coming back to the religious ideas about Easter. One country that um, I know celebrates Holy Week in, in a very religious way is in Spain and it's called Semana Santa. Now I have never been to Spain at Easter. I've been there when they have been preparing but I've never actually seen the processions and I do know that um, in the parades people wear almost medieval costume with big pointed hats. Yes, I have been there at, at Easter to see uh, the processions and exactly that, often in sort of silky fabric and strong colours and they might wear full length gowns and they will walk through the town uh, often um, with a, a holy relic perhaps taken from the church that will be paraded through town and the streets are lined with people coming to pay yeah. their respects and pray. I, I believe that the, 
the people in the big tall hats are sinners. I, be, I believe they're um, confessing their sins as they walk. Yes, I think it, it, that is about penance, isn't mm. it? Where I would like to go to see these parades is, is possibly Malaga, because I heard there that the um, float that they they carry their sculpture on um, is hundreds of years old, as a lot of these holy statues are. And the one in this throne in Malaga weighs 5,000 kilos, apparently, and takes 250 people to carry it in a procession. So that must be quite a spectacle to see. And I think in Malaga, I don't think it's always so solemn. I think there is some singing and clapping and celebration. So I would like to go to Malaga. Language support. This is the part of the podcast where I choose a word or phrase from the episode and we discuss it. Today I wanted to talk about symbolism and also related to it the idea of metaphors. So in this episode we talked quite often about symbols and symbolism. So what is a symbol? Well, a symbol is something that represents or stands for or suggests an idea or a belief or an action. In this episode, we talked about the egg being a symbol of spring and new birth. And that was true before Christianity. For Christians, the egg can be a symbol of rebirth, that is, the resurrection and rebirth of Jesus Christ. But of course, the most important symbol for Christians is the cross. So the cross recalls the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the redeeming benefits of his death and resurrection. In literature, a lot of symbolism is used. For example, night or darkness is often used as a symbol for death. A rose can be used as a symbol for romance or for love. A snake is often a symbol for corruption or evil. A chain can be used as a symbol for bringing things or people together. So lots of symbolism in, in stories, in literature and in all forms of art. So most visual art contains symbols of some sort. So a symbol has meaning beyond its original form. Now, a metaphor is a figure of speech that uses symbols. So, for example, you could say life is a roller coaster. 
So a roller coaster is something that you get at fun fairs or theme parks and you get this scary ride going up and down and up and down. So the idea is life is a bit like that. It's scary at times, it's exciting at other times, it has its ups and downs. You can talk about a person, you can say she is my rock. Obviously rock is a hard substance so if you describe somebody as being your rock it means they're very solid, very reliable, a very stable kind of person to work with. So those are the ideas of symbolism and metaphor. That's it for this week. If you want to find out more about how to get hold of the transcript for this and other episodes, and if you wanted to make contact with us through our email address and website, then stay listening. Otherwise, we'll be back with you after a short break this time. You can find the transcript, that's the written version of this episode, on our website www.staugustinescentrehalifax.org.uk and that's where you can also find links to all the other episodes and the transcripts so you can listen and read along at the same time. That's also where you can find out how to donate to help our work. We are a charity supporting particularly refugees, asylum seekers and migrants but also all those in need in our local area and uh, we would welcome your support if you felt able to give it. If you follow on the website the links to get involved and donate. We also have an email address that's English for Life in the UK at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you, your thoughts on our podcast and ideas for the future. We also have a Twitter account at Esol Saint, and there is additional material on that site. I'll spell out all those addresses. So the website www.staugustinescentrehalifax.org.uk so that's the website. The email is English for Life in the UK at gmail.com and that's English for spelt F O R. And finally, the Twitter account is at capital E S O L capital S A I N.
My name is Mark and I am one of the volunteers at the centre. I started off by asking Nikki, one of our immigration advice workers, to tell me where the right to asylum comes from. <laughs>